Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Passing Times. Really excited for this because we have a friend of the show, and I mean that literally. So today's guest played at Glashen Glebe, where he's an offset champion, obviously played for the Ottawa Mavericks in that Ottawa area, went on to Queen's University, where he's an OUA champion, and he went on to work in our sport for Volleyball Canada, not only in their events department, but also Athlete Pathway, and he's also been a part of the Canadian Olympic Committee. Please welcome to the show, Wes Chen. Wes, thanks for doing this, buddy. Gosh, thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, sorry that I had to start a podcast for you and I to have a serious conversation, but I feel like we're both so busy that it's come to this point. So I got to spill the beans here and doing some research for the show. I reached out to other friend of the show, uh, Matt Harris, who obviously you got to work with in where and he said, man, anytime you get a chance to talk to somebody about Glashen on the show, you got to do that. So we've already had Alex O'Neill on the show. So some of our listeners are familiar, but just take me through. Uh, it, it's a public school in the Ottawa area. It's a primary school, but just take me through why is volleyball so popular there and how do they make it so inclusive where it just seems like they, they really promote that every kid loves volleyball there who starts to play, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I think it really comes down to culture in the end, right? Like it's really embedded. And and I say that like, uh, you know, big, uh, well, basically the program comes down to a a man named uh, Rick Desclouds. And so Mr. D, uh, as we call him, uh, I mean, he started teaching probably 30 or 40 years ago now. Um, Always at Washington, volleyball was just sort of like the thing. And and because it's not really like it's, it's um, at least when I was there, it was a grade seven and eight school. Uh, so quick turnover, but you, you get there and even if you've never heard of volleyball or played it before or whatever it might be, which actually was the case with me, you get there as a grade seven and everyone's playing it. You know, it's just, it's, we have a, we have a, a ball, or sorry, a, a volleyball net in the schoolyard. Right. Um, it, it's, it's become more like greened up since, but it used to be just like a, inner city, you know, pavement and schoolyard and with a volleyball court, which you would, you would never see. Right. Um, so I think really a big part of where it got, where it got was just the only huge part of Mr. D like he would, uh, come in early, stay late, open the gyms for us. You know, it was, it was a inner city school and, you know, some poor neighborhoods and, you know, kids didn't have a lot. Right. So for a lot of them, it was, it was a safe place to come to get it off the streets, you know, and, in the mornings we had breakfast club, you know, so you can like literally come, you know, come to school, play some volleyball, get your, you know, healthy meal in. Um, and then lunch will roll around and you're either in the gym or out in the yard playing volleyball. And then, you know, the after school bell would ring and, and you'd be playing volleyball, you know? So it's, it's just, you know, when you have that sort of culture that's just embedded right from the get get go, like it's really hard not to, sort of get behind something like that, right? For sure, for sure. And I, and I don't want to overstep because obviously I haven't been there, but one thing I liked about Alex O'Neill telling me is it's it's not all warm and fuzzy. So he's standing by the door and Mr. D calls him in and he's kind of feeling it out. And then he starts vibing a little bit and keeps coming. But like, if you miss your serve, you're getting chirped. If you don't put the ball away in the front row, like it's like, again, because it's that inner city uh, school environment, it wasn't all warm and fuzzy to make sure everybody enjoys the game. Like you guys got after it. So how did you kind of get comfortable in an environment where it's like, it's inclusive, it's fun everyone who wants to be a part of it is a part of it but man you better compete when you're on the court oh uh, yeah that's that's tough you're right it, it's a little rough around the edges <laughs> um and uh i mean not in a negative way you know i think at the end of the day you you knew that mr d cared you knew that the teachers cared and they were there to support you they were you know all in the name of growth and um community right so i think a part of it sometimes you know Part of it was holding yourself up to a high standard, but you know the thing was like everyone has different you know 
walks of they come from different walks of life, um, different backgrounds, experiences, and you know a lot of a lot of them had chips on their shoulders, right? Or a lot of them have had to grind through. You know, I, I'm thinking like, you know, I'm very fortunate. Like I I came from a middle class family, you know, so some of these things I can't relate directly to. But you know, we we had like refugees, you know, um, who came from really harsh. Uh, environments and climates and upbringings and, and came here with like nothing and they're already used to sort of grinding it out right um so again it just it, it kind of just plays into that culture where it, you're given the opportunity to to thrive to succeed your challenge right um but at the end of the day you know that the people care right like why else would they open a gym at seven or six thirty in the morning every day feed you breakfast right and like uh, you know, help you develop those skills, you know, if, if they didn't care, right? And, and um, again, coming from, you know, where a lot of these kids came from, like it, it meant a lot, right? And, and so I, I'm really a fan of um, culture, right? And I'm sure you've had like, you know, guys like Inevit, like people like that come on the show about culture. And, and, and it really is something that was embedded into, into the school. And it was something special. So we've already talked about some of the alumni that go through Glashen, but also uh, I understand the alumni stays involved, that you guys, you have a nice alumni game going, the kids get to come out and watch. So uh, we've already kind of listed some of the names, but just take me through some of these battles you're having. I understand it's a four-on-four tournament, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it's happened uh, every year, well, until COVID, it happened every year. Uh, it's about 2005 or 2006. Um, so it's a, it's a four-on-four tournament that, uh, we started. It was it was actually in the memory of some of our friends, volleyball players who, who passed away when we were um, uh, when we were younger, and uh, avid volleyball guys were excited to get into the club system. And uh, yeah, so it was just something that the community really came together over. Um, and over the years, it just kind of you know evolved into something that you know it's once a year. Uh, you see your old friends, your old teachers. Um, you get to share some, some actually some pretty high level volleyball uh, with some of the youngsters. I mean, like, you know, I'm just thinking over the years, like we mentioned, like uh, Oneid's been there, of course, every year. Jory, uh, Stu Hamilton, there's a, there's an old name there. Um, and yeah, even some national team guys. I, I think like uh, Eric Gerard has come from a couple of years. John Sloan used to come. Um, so it's really kind of like spread through the, the greater Ottawa community as like that one super competitive, you know, four on four game uh, happens once a year, um, and really it's just just a great time. Now uh, I'm having trouble picturing this. Like you said, you, you put Oneid, you and Jory, and I think even did Ben Harper play one year. So you put in some guys who are big bodies. Do you play four on four because it's more fun that way, or do you play four on four because it's honestly like a public school sized gym? <laughs> a little bit of both. I mean, it is a public sized school gym. Like it's it's a tiny gym, low ceiling. Uh, the sidelines are, you know, just a couple meters from the wall kind of thing. Um, so it, you know, it, it's fun because it, it really becomes like a, like a side out game. You know, it's even if you like, if Jory's, you know, swinging at you full swing, even if you do get hands on that, that's going straight to the ceiling, you know? So it, it really became, you know, serve tough, pass well, how well you can side out. You might win the game, you know, by a point or two, a steal or two. Uh, and it made for some, uh, some really competitive battles. I think what, what was so amazing about again the the glass environment is that you know in our open uh in our open session you would probably have like i don't know six or eight pools of four and you know each of the top seeds in each pool would like 
you know, have provincial team players or, you know, club players, varsity players coming back to play. Um, but there are also, you know, people who were there just to, just to participate, you know, so um, you end up having some of these really, really competitive matches, but also just some like for fun matches as well. I mean, uh, those, yeah, those playoffs got really, really chippy at some, uh, at times. Uh, and you would, you would honestly, you would play one set of 25. So like the margin for error was, was pretty low. And, um, but I, you know, I, I really thought it was just such a great community event, you know, and you can really see a lot of the kids that stayed and, uh, some of them would go on to enter the club system. Right. And, um, sort of have that early exposure to, to some pretty high level volleyball and, and sort of want to follow down that pathway too. So, um, you know, I think earlier in the interview, I might've mentioned that, um, you know, there were 16 new, uh, national champions that, uh, came out of that school, uh, for East nationals and, uh, their, their championship banner banner hangs in the glass gym now, um, because all of those guys, uh, started out at that school. So it's just, yeah, that's something special that's, that's spread in the community over the years. Yeah, for sure. Like as you're explaining this, I, it, my mind is going to like how much this must accelerate these kids love for volleyball. Cause I think, I think volleyball and gym class is fun, but you don't really know how athletic and fast and like aggressive it can be till you see like some people with some real skills play it. So uh, I imagine seeing some of you guys uh, either get a big slammy or a big kill and they go, Oh, like this is volleyball. So it must really inspire them to kind of challenge themselves to do the next thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, uh, you know, seeing, you don't get to see Jory Manta play that close very often, right? And the sheer physicality that he brings to the game, right? Like he, you know, on a half swing will root the ball and kids will go crazy over that, right? I want to be that guy, you know? <laughs> and and uh, it, yeah, it's like you said, it, it sort of accelerates that, um, you know, that uh, vision of what you can be, right? Somewhere down the road. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, and like I said, it's, it's always about giving back to community as well right like this is a school that we all started out many of us started out in and um and yeah being able to go back and sort of make it come full circle it, it's really rewarding i know for for a lot of us and um and you get to play volleyball with your friends you know so uh so for me to be a real journalist i got to pick up uh, on what you're putting down here so i'm curious you mentioned it was a fundraiser where my mind went to like who's playing are the kids watching like who's engaged but uh i'm curious when you guys get involved and you're raising money what was the cause for it in the in the last few years before covid there yeah i mean uh like i said we wanted to do something in in Natasha's memory it was uh, gary danny and sunny were the three guys and um so what we ended up doing is the uh the entry fee uh for for a tournament um, as well as like you know funds raised from the canteen or whatever it might be um it all went to uh to building a school uh, in cambodia where where their family originated so um i know they they love volleyball there too and you know has sort of spread that love across the world as well so um yeah i mean like i said it, it's for a good cause um you know you do get to see uh your friends and people you grew up with but at the same time you know it's, it's nice to be able to give back and uh do something nice for them in their name as well because you know, they're a really important part of our community and, um, and, you know, being able to do something like that, you know, in their name is just something special as well. So. Yeah. Great. Great to hear. And another thing that, uh, again, me being an outsider, but I always kind of affiliate Glashen with almost being a feeder system to Glebe. And when I was coaching at Upper Canada College with Derek Poon and Mike Murphy, man, we, we knew we were in for one if we were going to play Glebe, especially your era where, uh, you were with Rex Fenton. I think Phil James was on those teams, Jory Mantha, like 
I'm not exaggerating when I say one year, like I think you guys were one of the best high school teams I think I ever saw. And that might've been the year you guys went off. So we played you guys at the same Mike's tournament and it was, it was an absolute battle where I feel like top to bottom, there was a ton of good players there. So tell me when you're off to Glebe at that point, were you already established that you're like, I'm a volleyball player. I'm going to a good volleyball school. Like was Offsa always in the conversation when you're a Glebe guy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it definitely was always in, in the conversation. You know, I think um, we were, I mean, we were fortunate to have, amazing coaches like guys like Matt Harris, uh, Bruce Dunning was our, our um, club coach uh, with the Ottawa Kangaroos at the time and then eventually the Ottawa Mavericks. And so we, we had, um, you know, like lofty goals. Um, we knew it was within our potential. Uh, we knew it was a target that we were after and, and that we can do it. So um, I think everything just sort of like came together where um, not only did we have, like you said, like a, you know, a pretty stacked, um, you know, starting lineup, but even the guys on the bench behind us, like the, so when I was in grade 12, the grade 11s were the uh, 16U East national champions from the year previous, right? So these are the guys that are competing with us every day. Like that's who we were practicing with, who were getting better. Like who, um, whoever was there was contributing and like had to step up, right? Um, so, you know, knowing what I know now, it, it really had a lot of the elements of what made a successful, uh, well, school program in this case, but a successful volleyball program, right? You, you had guys, uh, who supported each other. You had an excellent coaching staff and you had guys up and down the lineup who can challenge at every position, right? So it really was that sort of that perfect mixture of, you know, here's a chance for us to do something. We have the tools to do it. We have the guys to do it. So let's make it a goal and let's, let's see how far we can get with it. And, um, and yeah, like it, it wasn't easy by any means. I remember that same Mike's tournament. I remember like that was the year that uh, Terrell and that Pac-Man crew also uh, had a pretty stacked squad with Mississauga secondary. And actually uh, their grade 11 squad was the if i remember correctly that was the 16u team that had lost to our grade 11 squad at the east national Year four right so it was almost like intergenerational you know uh rivalry that um it wasn't an easy path by any means um but it it really was that um that perfect mixture of what you would sort of ex you know expect in a in a high performing program for sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't certainly say lightly that I think you're one of the best high school programs I've ever seen. And, and obviously to win off. So you're beating the St. Mike's and playing against Mississauga secondary. And I think, I think Garrett May was still young, but Birchmount, you could tell they were going to be on the pathway. Uh, Saunders was always good or a London area school is always going to be good. So when you get to Offsa, I don't want to skip ahead to the final if you have another story to tell me about that tournament. But again, pulling from Alex O'Neill, he mentioned it was kind of important that you did stand up to Mississauga because, again, they prided themselves on being a tough team. And there are a lot of inner city kids team, too. But you got O'Neill, who wasn't afraid to, you know, make eye contact with Terrell and kind of talk through the net a little bit. So did you guys kind of know it was destined that you were going to play Mississauga or were there some other battles during Offsa? Uh, it was mostly Mississauga. There were battles. But I think that those were the guys we had in our crosshairs. Um, again, just knowing, and this was, you know, in our 18-year year at this point, and we've had years of, of playing against these guys within the club system, right? Like, um, so it, 
we knew sort of what to expect. We also knew that they were, you know, like, these are the guys you want to be. You go to any competition, whether it's OSA, OUAs, whatever it might be, like, you want to play and you want to be the best, right? Um, we we went to Mississauga Secondary for a uh, kind of like a tune-up tournament uh, leading up to it. And um, so we played them there as well, actually, in the semifinals. We beat them uh, in the semis. And in the finals, we played a team uh, called Miles Mack from Winnipeg. And um, I think a lot of those guys uh, played for the women program at the time. Um, so that was probably the other like really standout match throughout that season, I think, that, um, you know, sort of resonated with like, these are sort of like the top people that you had to beat and overcome to sort of get to that final goal. And um, it wasn't always easy, you know, like with any team, like there were there were ups and there's downs, there's um, matches that, you know, by by sort of our standards, like you you sort of you want to show up, right? But you you kind of play down to the level of competition, and you know, so learning that sort of discipline along the way was also important as well. But yeah, like it's we always had Mississauga in our crosshairs, and and you know, the, yeah, maybe we got the best of them in the office finals. They paid it back to us at the uh, 18U championships, national championships later that year. Um, they beat us in the quarters, I think it was, 25-22, um, 25-22, and went on to win a national championship. So they might have gotten the last laugh on that one. But, um, but yeah, no, those those are the, the memories, the, um, the battles that you remember, you know, so many years later. Um, and that's sort of a big part of, um, the journey along the way, right? For sure, you for want, sure. You don't want it to be a kid. So. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned club that's happening at the same time during your, your Glee career. And I'm glad you brought up the name Bruce Dunning because I didn't have that in my notes. But uh, again, to draw on some of the Ottawa stories, Oneid told me one of the greatest stories I've ever heard a coach do. So Oneid's a hothead, but he's a very talented guy. And Bruce Dunning pulls him aside and tells him straight up, as long as you're trying, I'm not going to sub you off. But if you become a bad team guy, you throw a fit, you're not going to play. And I thought it was so cool to empower Alex and tell him if he's being a good leader and, and a, just like a captain of the team that I'm going to support you and I believe in you. But if you step out of line, like I'm going to sub you like anyone else. So uh, I was wondering if you could share anything that kind of Bruce taught you or already even those moments you had because he's such an established and great coach. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Bruce is awesome. I absolutely love the guy. Um, he, he was a big, big part of my development, not just as you know, a volleyball player, but you know, as, as a kid growing up, you know, it, they contributed to who I am today. Um, yeah, like, he, he's always been big on um, the bigger picture, right? Like, it, it's not just about performance. Like, yeah, we're, you know, you're there and you want to win and it's a high-performing team, a high-performance program. Um, but there were other pieces to the puzzle, right? Like, uh, like you said, like, developing good leadership skills, right? Um, we were never the... I would say that squad wasn't necessarily the most talented, like innate talent. Um, there were guys that, you know, a couple of guys went on to have pretty decent university careers, but um, the ceiling wasn't the highest with that group. And uh, a big part of our success be, came from being able to play together, right? You, you sort of had to support each other's strength. Um, you had, we had to play like a very, almost like a, perfect style of ball, like, because we were a smaller group, you know, passing had to be on point because we're, you know, running combinations in front, right? And that's, you know, how we sort of uh, distinguished our group. 
Um, and that stuff doesn't work when you're screaming at each other or putting each other down. Like it, it's a very cohesion is, is everything about that place now. Right. And, um, and more so than anything else, I think it's also just uh, accountability. Right. Um, these are all sort of skills that looking back, like I'm, I'm glad I had those experiences because it's stuff that's carried on throughout university uh, to where I am now today. Like it's, um, it's yeah, I'm, re I'm really glad and I'm really grateful to, to have those experiences and have Bruce as a coach. So uh, again, uh, you'll have to help me out with my timeline. I should have done better research, but you go from a ruse guy to a Mavs guy. I'm curious with the timeline. Does that make you one of the early adopters of the HP program at Mavs that I think we're all used to, but you must've been one of the early entries or even the pilot when Frank St. Denis and some, some other people who deserve a lot of credit. Was that kind of the start of it? Yeah, I think we were, I want to say year three. Um, Rex was a part of the very first group. Um, he was brought up to set with them when we were still at the 16U age. Um, and we had Hussein Abdo at the time, who went on to have a, a pretty good career at the University of Waterloo. So we had very two very high-class setters uh, in that age group. So Rex went on to play high performance. Um, I think Travis McLean was, was with that group as well. And then, yeah, by the time that our 18U year rolled around, um, that's when we... Uh, went to the high performance program so i think it was year three if i'm doing my math correctly uh, so yeah very early iteration of the program for sure and how was the sell job to that to to the parents and i guess the athletes even deserve credit for this that like we're going to train we're going to lift weights we're going to do extra stuff where maybe some people didn't want that in their club experience but maybe some people were craving that right like when you heard this did you get fired up being like yeah i want a university experience at the club level yeah absolutely Right. Like it's whatever it takes um, to get to that next level. And um, it is a hard sell. Like uh, there's obviously a dollar amount attached to it. Right. And, and with the background, again, coming from the Boston background and, and some of the members of our team, like that's not necessarily always the most accessible. Right. But um, I think the, the pros outweighed the cons. Um, and again, I think it was more than just volleyball. Um, you really did get that full exposure to time management skills, work ethic, those kind of things, those soft skills that carry you through the rest of life, right? And um, I mean, I think I was better prepared for university and having to balance that uh, because I I had to experience all that already uh, when I was 18 or 17. And um, and yeah, like it's, you know, it, again, it wasn't uh, perfect by any means, right? Like it, everything's a learning experience. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like it was something that was worthwhile and really worth time and energy and resources invested into it. Um, like anything you, you put in once you get out, um, could I have been better knowing what I know now? Totally. Right. Um, hopefully I'm trying to, you know, share that to, to younger athletes moving forwards. Um, but it really is, um, you know, like a world-class opportunity or, or Canada class off opportunity not one that comes around too often so try to make the most of it like yeah. so to, to jump ahead because there is a lot i want to cover i'm curious when you're applying for and looking at college and universities uh what eventually sold you that queens was going to be the best spot for you i see i i'm an interesting case i think um my for for those who have met me in person you know like i'm i'm like five six and a half maybe five seven shoots right like i the uh 
the ceiling wasn't too high for me from an athletic perspective. So I pretty early on looked into, well, beyond volleyball, what, what's there for me, right? And um, so you sort of balance the pros and cons. Um, and in the end, I, I picked the school route, you know, and uh, I knew that actually Alex had been recruited to Queens to play as a libero. And I knew that the odds of me getting onto a roster there were pretty slim, slim to none, really. Um, but I was sort of the case where I, I tried to look at the big picture. Um, you know, do I go to a school with a program, studying a program that I didn't necessarily want to be in, uh, in a city I didn't necessarily want to be in, or do I uh, go to someplace that, you know, I love the campus, I love the vibe, um, I, you know, I loved what school had to offer beyond just volleyball. So that ultimately swayed my decision in the end. Um, and it's, you know, maybe not what listeners want to hear sometimes, but, but, you know, thankfully that led to other opportunities along the way. Uh, so that's, you know, I still got to stay in volleyball, still got to contribute to the men's team there. Um, but I was sort of realistic of my shots, I guess. Um, knowing some of my physical limitations. Uh, and I ended up picking the option that wasn't play volleyball at all costs. Queens does list you as a coach on their roster. So I'm curious, how soon were those conversations happening with Brenda? And then how did you get over just, just the reality of your coaching peers where you probably did want to keep playing, but it just wasn't in the cards and Queens is a top volleyball school where now you're giving feedback to guys who may or may not want to take it because they think they're better than you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was probably around uh, November or December, just a couple months in, when uh, Brenda reached out and uh, and sort of offered me this this position that was basically at the time it was it was sort of a scouting video role, um, and I, I jumped up at the opportunity and like it's I love volleyball like it, it was such a huge part of my life it still is such a huge part of my life and. So getting that chance, uh, as you know, volleyball is a very small world. So you're right. Like you do end up working with athletes that you uh, grew up with, played against, uh, coached against, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I always tried my best to stick to professionalism. Um, like these were my friends. Um, and, you know, sometimes, yeah. So like you would, you know, grab drinks with them and hang out with them, party, whatever. Right. But um, I think when, when it came time to being in the gym or just being around volleyball, the volleyball aspect, um, of that, um, arrangement, like that's when you try to be the most professional you can, um, cause that's what lends itself to credibility. And again, like it's, it's a learning process as well, right? Um, some guys were more receptive to it than others and, and that's totally understandable. And that's, you know, it, you, it's, it's a matter of finding ways so that you can connect with those guys who may not necessarily, you know, sort of see you uh, as an equal on a playing level, right? But you know, from a volleyball knowledge or a tactical standpoint, right? That that's a different story. Um, a big part of uh, you know going through the volleyball system myself, like because of my physical limitations, um, I really focused on the tactical and the sort of volleyball IQ knowledge, right? That's sort of like, you know, I tried to close the gap that way, uh, which ends up lending itself pretty well to the coaching um, in the end. 
Um, so I, you know, I'm very grateful to Brenda for taking a shot on me. Um, I didn't know everything, uh, but she was willing to teach. Uh, she was willing to help me learn where I could learn. Um, and it ended up being sort of like, uh, kind of like a win-win, uh, situation. You know, I was learning, I was growing and also contributing to the program as well. So, so I was hoping you can give us a little bit of behind the curtains where obviously Brenda, uh, tremendous coach Queens was always very successful, but as you mentioned, she, she had a lot of layers to it where she's recruiting really well. She's running a top program, not unusual to have a young athlete like yourself on the coaching staff, not unusual to have somebody who's pursuing maybe their master's or further education to also give back to the sporting and do coaching. So, you know, she's doing athlete development. She's doing coaching development. She's doing OVA stuff in the summer. So just give us the behind the curtain. Like what makes Queens so successful under, under Brenda Willis? Culture. <laughs> right? We talked about that earlier. Um, and this, it goes beyond just volleyball. Like the Queens Athletics Program, um, again, has a you know a pretty storied history. And Brenda, like I said, she, she does have a lot of layers. She, had, she wore a lot of hats. Um, but ultimately, she was good at what she did, and she was very knowledgeable as well. Um, and, and passionate, right? Like, and that, that counts for a lot to do it that year in, year out day in, day out. A big part of, you know, sort of what my role evolved into was I also tried to take some of the heat off right now, like um, sort of things that, you know, you when when Brenda walks in the gym, you want her to worry about coaching. And this is true of, you know, national team pro, uh, coaches as well. Like when you walk in the gym, your job's there, your job there is to coach. Um, so I tried to sort of also um, help her out in some of the non-coaching aspects of, you know, like uh, sort of the logistics side of things, the management side of things, you know, like wherever video, for example, like we had um, the OUA and probably still does, but they we had uh, video upload requirements, right? So those sort of things that are important, right? Because you use that stuff for game planning. It gets shared among all the different coaches. You try to take that off her shoulders so that she can focus on coaching. Right. I like how you say culture. I don't want to let you off the hook there and just say, Oh, the culture and it takes care of itself because let's be honest, culture gets tested. And when I look up at the players who were at Queens, when you were there, strong personalities, Michael Amoroso, Zeman, Oneid, like uh, Pedlo told me him and Oneid, and, and he wasn't exaggerating. They almost got in a fight because Oneid wasn't passing free balls well enough and Pedlo's in the middle and he needs that free ball to be perfect. Like those are the type of very strong alpha personalities that, that Brenda attracted to Queens. So culture gets tested. So when there was those moments in the gym, like what happens? Do we let the athletes figure it out? Does Brenda step in? Is it a little bit of both? Like, do you have a voice in those situations? Because it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns at Queens. There was a lot of tough personalities and expectations were high, right? Like Pedlo graduated with a medal at every year he played OUA, right? Like Joran Zeman is one of the best university players of all time, in my opinion. Like having a game plan for that guy was a nightmare. So you, you can say culture and everything kind of takes care of itself. But let's be honest, it gets tested. And how do you go through those moments when you're being challenged? Yeah, like I'll say outright, uh, it, it was a mix, but it wasn't it wasn't my voice. Um, that wasn't my role. And uh, I don't know how I would have uh, thrived in that if it were. So we, you know, we had uh, a group of really strong assistant coaches through the years as well. Um, we had guys like uh, James Madison was there, uh, Greg Stevenson or Sully as we and gave the group was there near the end as well. So it every situation is different. I'm sure you know, like with with coaching, like you, you know, 
there's no one size fits all way to to tackle issues like that. Um, but ultimately, I think when things get tested, and uh, Dan Lewis talks about this, some you know a lot, like if you you end up defaulting to the strength of your systems, right, of your structure, and if you had sort of embedded <laughs> a certain culture uh, into your program, right? Um, you, it gives you that structure to work with when you're dealing with conflict, right? Otherwise, anything goes. Um, so what might work for Pedlo may not necessarily work for Onid, may not necessarily work for Zeman or Ammo, but it may work for Queen's Men's Volleyball, that logo on the front, right? Um, so you always default sort of you know, with the different personality support, but, you know, you default to the mission statement that you talk about at the start of the year, right? The one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings you have with Brenda, and, you know, like, I'm not privy to that, but, um, you know, those are, like, the relationships that that grow over the course of five years, right? And within that framework, you find a way to make it work, but it comes from having that solid base, right, to begin with. Um, again, I don't pretend to have all of the keys of the kingdom by any means, right? Um, you know, I had my role, um, which was different from Gabe's role, which was different from Brenda's role, um, different from the athletic therapists, right? So everyone has uh, their roles and their perspectives, but we all unite under that one logo, right? Well said. Well said. It wasn't an easy question, but you handled it well, my friend. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll jump ahead once more because, again, uh, there's lots to cover. So you pursue a career in sport and, and that really tracks you. And then you land a job at Volleyball Canada. And I think a lot of us enjoy going to the events, whether it was in Orsica or World League or whatever you're part of. But uh, I don't think unless you've been a part of it, you don't grasp what it takes to set up these events. Even the court setup is like an all day thing. Right. So uh, just kind of give me them throwing you in the deep end and you just learning about logistics because you kind of hinted there at Queens like you, you didn't have a problem doing the behind the scenes or letting the experts focus on their thing and you're going to take care of the details. So what was it like running some of those events? Because I think you and I talked before the show and it's in the hundreds, right? Like you've been a part of a lot of special events. So uh, just tell me your first impression when you're like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff scheduling buses and practice times and setting up the sport court or the, the actual floor for the World League or whatever else goes into it. Like, man, it, it's a mammoth of an event, right? Yeah, it, it was definitely trial by fire. I think uh, my first summer was, I want to say 2010. And we had hosted a junior Norseka championships at the time. And that was, that was actually the first uh, junior program or, or U21 program that uh, TJ and Nicole were a part of, like, if I remember correctly. Um, but it really was like, you know, deep water, here you go, uh, sink or swim kind of thing. Like it's, uh, and this is, you know, true of all sports, but um, you never have enough resources. Right. Like you rely a lot of, on volunteer help. And uh, it really was that situation where it's like, OK, like here, here we go. You have to think of this. You have to think of, like you said, transport, meals, uh, logistics, uh, setting up the court, volunteers, ticketing. Um, and then, you know, at a higher level, you, you have to think about sponsorship. Um, who's being represented where? Like, are, where's the funding coming from? There's just so many aspects that go into um, an international competition like that. And um, so I, you know, I was very fortunate. I had great mentors. Um, I had great people that I worked with um, who 
you, you are in the trenches with, right? Um, driving off coffee, you know, and, and working 14, 16 hour days to make sure that um, everything runs smoothly. And, and things are going to go wrong. They always do. Like with so many moving pieces, something's going to go wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I, and I said this recently to a friend of mine, where it's just sort of from the fan perspective, like you can go to an event and it's it's running smoothly. The, you know, volleyball is happening. There's action. There's fun. There's lights. There's music. Um, and even though me or my colleagues might be like losing our minds behind the scenes, right? Um, it ends up being an enjoyable experience for everyone involved, right? Because at the end of the day, people got to see volleyball, right? Um, the place didn't burn down. So, you know, that, <laughs> it worked out, right? Um, but it really was um, trial by fire. And I, I was, I think I benefited a little bit from having been such a volleyball guy growing up. Um, like I, I was a, a provincial official at the time as well. So you sort of get an understanding of sort of protocol and the rules and sort of the referee aspect of things. You understand the athlete's perspective, what they want and look for and need to achieve. You understand the coaches. So having these different viewpoints at different points along, you know, at, at different times along the way helped for sure. Um, but you, you don't really know until you're, you're thrown into it. Um, but I loved it. Right. Uh, I love contributing. I love being a part of the excitement and, um, it turned into a career for me at the end of the day. Yeah. So cool to hear. And then to jump forward once more, you start working more on the athlete pathway for volleyball Canada. So don't get me wrong. It's still a crazy amount of planning, a crazy amount of logistics, but now you're setting up, you know, what time does our bus leave? What time is breakfast? Are the coaches happy that day? Like uh, you, you were during the COVID era. So you're trying to find a video website that's going to let coaches evaluate and let athletes and their guardians sign up and, and upload stuff and make it easy for them to be part of the process. Right. So what did you kind of enjoy about the challenges of being on that side? Where, like I said, logistics heavy, but now you're more in the team environment versus the events uh, environment. Yeah, totally. Like I honestly, like I, I prefer, I'm more of a, like a social person, I guess, when it, when it comes to sports and, and um, all of that. So um, I love the dynamic environment. Um, you work with different people, different personalities, but it's like anything during COVID, it was an adjustment and uh, it's finding those best practices Um what's going to work, what's not going to work. Sometimes uh, you you learn by errors, trial by fire. Um, but uh, again, it's just with sport, I find uh, once you sort of get into working in the field, you kind of become an everything man. Um, you sort of have to have a little bit of experience in, you know, in different aspects of an event. Um, so there were some events when I was volunteering and I was a DJ, right? <laughs> um, but I actually, that kind of worked out because I knew from protocol when you should or should not play music, right? And next thing you know, um, I'm going from being a DJ to having to fix something on court, right? You become some sort of a handyman. Um, and again, like, I think that just lends itself well to, to working in sport because then you get, you, you really get to emphasize with all the different viewpoints of like, what do the coaches want? What do the athletes want? Uh, what do the parents want? you really do get those, those different perspectives and viewpoints and everything that goes in to running a successful program for everyone involved. Right. And, um, I mean, passion is a good word. Like I, again, I, I loved what I did. Um, and I loved being able to contribute to 
the sport in some way, even if that wasn't necessarily as an athlete, you know what I mean? Like, um, so again, getting the chance to design a, a virtual assessment program, like I never would have imagined that uh, 10, 12 years ago when I first started out in volleyball, but it's just sort of one thing led to another. And suddenly you're able to contribute in ways that you may not be an athlete yourself, but you're facilitating the process for athletes to, you know, take a step towards realizing their dream. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's important. You know, I, I really do. And I, I think things, you can't really snap your fingers and things don't magically happen. Right. There's always stuff happening behind the scenes, but ultimately it's to try and facilitate that athlete's dream. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the athlete experience. Cause I, I mean, you're putting all this work and all this sweat equity, but at the end of the day, we're volleyball fans. So I, I am curious, cause it, don't get me wrong. This is not an official volleyball statement. We're just two guys talking volleyball, but what was it like being on the entry level and you get to be a part of a team and I'm looking up this roster and I'm just smiling to myself. Cause what we know now, but they're, they're just a couple years older and we could see their pathway, but you got to work with a team. And if I miss your name, I'm sorry, but there's just so many names here, but you got to work with a team with Abrams, Cooper, Elser, Graton, Hasinga, uh, Cole, I think people say Ketrzynski, but I think it's actually Kucharski. Uh Johnny Pickett, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, Corey, the Trinity middle. Eric Sixna. Like, I just keep going down this roster, and it's like, oh, and you get to work with coaches like Ryan Marzini, Nibbet, uh, DeGroote, uh, Lionel, who I'm a big fan of. Like, you got to be a part of that team, and it's a U21 team, and it's a young team. But even looking ahead two years later, it's like, man, Sam Cooper is going to get a chance to play VNL like very, very soon. Like, Elser is playing VNL. Like, th- these guys are the real deal. Like, was it just fun being in the gym watching these young pop? And, and kind of seeing what the pathway they were on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, it's a, it's a really dynamic environment. Um, and it's, these are all guys chasing their dreams, right? And um, I, loved, I loved it. Like it was, it was probably one of my favorite summers. It was a busy summer. It was an Olympic year, of course. Um, so there was a lot happening. But yeah, like it's, it'll be really interesting to, to see how far they come, you know, like two, three, five years in the future. And, you know, I, to a certain extent, I've gone, uh, gone through that with the, the sort of like the previous cycles as well. You know, like I said, when I first started my first event, like uh, TJ was setting, um, you know, for that junior team and, and Nick was a younger guy on the team, but, you know, that was his sort of, uh, I think his first junior experience as well. Right. And then, uh, though it was from the event side of things, you still see the same guys year after year, summer after summer. and and the strides they make right in between um and it's it's really rewarding you know at the end of the day where uh again like it's it's a small piece of the puzzle right but um you know when you see these guys go on and have the success that they're having have the growth that they're having um it really puts into perspective like yeah you know like it's it's a lot goes into high performance sport um, and everyone has to play their role. Everyone has to play their part. But um, at the end of the day, it's rewarding because uh, they achieve their dreams. They achieve their goals. Um, we we enjoy watching them, right? Fans get to experience it, uh, experience volleyball in Canada, uh, big events like VNL and World League back then. Um, so, yeah, it's super exciting, um, you know, with this new group of, of athletes. Um, now I can just be a fan. Like I, I'm not with Volleyball Canada anymore. Um, so these are all guys that I've enjoyed spending time with and um, don't necessarily have a professional relationship anymore, right? Um, so you you can really just sit back and just say, hey, like 
I want to see what you can do. Like I'm wishing you all the best. Right. Um, and then, yeah, seeing those guys like Abrams and, and Johnny Pickett, like they just got that Canada games gold. Um, and I'm super happy for them. you see Matias, who was a setter for that under 21 team playing left side at BNL. Um, you see Cooper cracking the roster. Like he had, um, came in a lot as a starting, a very successful serving sub, um, during the recent receiving championships. Um, and then you think back and I'm like, man, I, like, I watched them work on that serve, you know, practice after practice, um, and the strike he's made even since then in one year's time. Um, it's, it's really awesome to watch. And then just so everyone gets a full grasp of all the layers you've been involved with, and again, doing some research for the show, I think Carrie McDonald deserves a lot of credit, but I saw your name popped up on the concussion protocol. So not only are you contributing events wise, athlete pathway wise, but you're also giving into the sports science. So just tell me about what that experience was like and, and working side by side with our guy, Carrie McDonald through that process. Uh, yeah, I, I wore a lot of hats. Awesome. I uh, love, love working with Carol McDonald. The dude is, he might hate me for saying this. Dude's a genius. Like he um, is really at that forefront of like modern sports science and just some of the stuff that he does is so cool. I, I got into concussions and, you know, some people might know this already, but I, you know, I had a pretty hefty concussion history myself. Um, so it ended up being what I studied for my graduate student work. Uh, like when I did my master's, I studied uh, concussion and sport. Um, ended up being hockey was my specialty in the end, but, um, but yeah, so like, again, like those, those little things you pick up along the way and then suddenly, um, actually version one of the concussion protocol, probably around 2013 or 2014, it was actually James Snedden and, and, uh, Chrissy Benz who reached out at first, um, to sort of, uh, help guide the, the, the version one of the concussion protocol. And then, a couple of years later, uh, a full cycle later, uh, Carrie reached out about it. And um, because I had, uh, I guess, research experience and, and some, well, some clinical experience in the area as well, uh, it just it made a lot of sense. So suddenly you're combining two different passions, right? Like my, my research passion um, is, you know, like risk management, concussion, you know, um, in sport in general, not necessarily volleyball, but... Uh, now I get to do that with the sport I love, and um, and yeah, and it's just again a little a little piece of the puzzle, one of the hats along the way. Um, but working with Carrie is is like I said, it's it's awesome. Like he's really the the guiding force between or behind a lot of the um, the sport science, the integrated sport teams, um, sort of that modern wave of high performance uh, program. Um, a lot of that you know, came from him in volleyball and it was a real pleasure to, to work with him. We actually published a paper together in the end um, for the organization I work with now the, well, um, called CERC. Um, and they reached out uh, asking myself and Carrie to uh, to write a paper about uh, preventing concussions in volleyball. So um, one thing led to another and now, now I work for them. But um, yeah, like it's just weird how all the sort of pieces of the puzzle come together in the end for sure for sure and i had one more thing on my notes here that i'm excited to hear the answer because you and i've talked a lot but i don't know the full story here how did the opportunity to work for the canadian olympic committee come together and just be a part of that like you were part of the emerging leaders group is that correct yeah that's uh uh so i wouldn't say work for them uh i was a part of one of their development programs 
so that was also uh, thanks to Volleyball Canada as well. Um, so I guess uh, there have been different iterations of the program. Like they also do um, a women emerging leaders uh, program. Um, this one happened to focus uh, a lot on uh, BIPOC individuals in the sports system. And um, so thank you, Volleyball Canada, uh, because it's been an incredible learning experience. Um, I guess they put my name forwards uh, for this program, and um, it's a pretty small cohort. I think there are 15 or 16 of us across Canada, across a whole bunch of different sports. And um, really, it's about... Uh, well, just it's about professional development, right? So it's empowering um, young leaders in sport to, in this case, like how can we make a difference when it comes to equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion, right? Um, obviously, it's a it's a really big topic right now, um, and uh, and just finding ways to, I guess, empower individuals within the system to hopefully affect more change in the system. Um, so it's uh, been probably about a year now since I've been with the program, and, and it's kind of, you know, uh, crazy just how much our, our pathway through the system has, has sort of paralleled. And, uh, and so I've been learning a ton, you know, just, again, like, how do you navigate the sports system? How do you um, affect meaningful change? Um, and just learning about the sports system in general, just, uh, yeah, just something that I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity for. So that's kudos to Volleyball Canada. Like, thank you uh, for that opportunity because it's not, uh, again, not something that comes around every day. And, and I'm appreciative of them for thinking of me for it. Yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot here. This wasn't in my, my list of questions. No, but when you said uh, create meaningful change, I actually had a, a very passionate conversation with a couple of the coaches I get to work with at Volleyball Canada <laughs> where, you know, I, I'm explaining to them that, uh, you know, as the head coach, I have to make decisions and they can make suggestions. But just understand that planning practice and doing periodization and watching video that this is kind of my baby. So when you take a shot at it or tell me you want to make a change, I'm going to get a little defensive sometimes. So I'm curious what you found is your best approach of where, yeah, we can create a change or we can come in with new ideas. And and as long as respect is in the room, we're going to listen to each other, but just understand that like people have put in a lot of time and effort into what is established in Canada. And it's not always that change is a bad thing, but sometimes people are going to get protective of what they've built, right? So what, what are some techniques or things that you've worked through, either being at the committee level or, or working for NMSO that you found that kind of opens up those conversations and people don't get their back up, like maybe I do in some of my lower moments where we can have an honest conversation about what, what we should be approaching and always trying to look for improvements, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult question uh, because there's no, again, there's no one size fits all just like there is with coach, like there's no one size fits all. Um, I think everything has to start from, you know, an empathetic base, you know, like you have to be, you have to enter those conversations willing to not just, you know, like share your point, but also listen. Right. And, and sometimes people get caught up kind of going through emotions. Um, I listen because I'm supposed to listen and people tell me to listen. Right. But I've done my part just by listening. Right. So, you sort of have to approach it, and this could be true of you know not just you know the inclusion, diversity, equity space. Like this could be true of uh, adapting new coaching techniques, right? Like if you go in with this idea that you know everything and it's going to work for every athlete in every situation, well, you're probably setting yourself up for a situation where you're it's not it's not going to you're going to find that one or two athletes that doesn't respond well to that type of training or that type of communication style um 
And in, in many respects, this is no different. Like you have to be able to uh, be open-minded to understanding that your your way could be valid, but there are probably many other methods that are also valid and are not like mutually exclusive, right? You, you blend learning strategies. You you know you these are all different pieces of a mosaic that you put together to form a you know a working relationship, right? And that's successful program. So um, that's a lot, very long-winded of me, you know, long-winded way of me saying like, well, you have to be open to change and open to learn to begin with, right? If you enter the conversation just going through the motions, um, then you're probably not going to get too far, right? Because that's just kind of surface level, superficial stuff. But then it's also just understanding um, sort of, People don't like to be made uncomfortable, right? And that um, we have to be able to learn to work past that, right? Like you don't want to be conflict adverse, right? Because it may lead to further problems down the road. Um, you have to be open to being uncomfortable. And and it goes, again, it goes both ways. I'm still learning things um, that I never would have considered in the past. Not, not from like, you know, Place of malice or anything like that. It's just that my life's perspective just never allowed me to sort of think in that manner. It's an evolution, is what it is, right? It's uh, you adapt, you grow, um, and you change over time. It's not something that happens overnight, right? You take up this little uh, nugget of knowledge, right, and apply it to your program, the athletes you coach, and you pick up well this along the way, right? But as long as you sort of have that growth mindset and are open to hearing those sometimes uncomfortable conversations, right? That's usually already a really strong first step that a lot of people aren't willing to, to make, right? So you'd be sort of surprised at just being able to sit down and genuinely listen to each other and genuinely communicate with one another um, how, far, how much of a difference that, that already makes. Um, and then you can go deeper from there, establish that base, right? Where you can then have that that understanding and hopefully that trusting relationship to dive deeper, right? For sure, for sure. And, and I'll put you on the spot with one more because uh, as Garrett and I have discovered on Sharp Cuts, you know, there, there's a few off ramps in our sport and I think people overuse process and I think they overuse culture without really knowing what it is. So you being a culture guy and you're a fan of it, let's just throw up the hypothetical that uh, uh, let's say somebody, one of our listeners, like where we have a lot of coaches in our community who listen, so they're going to coach a club team. What's like the lowest hanging fruit they can do to establish well, you know, those pillars you talked about, like we're going to be inclusive. Everyone feels like they belong. Everyone's feel like they're contributing. Like how can we build some of those foundation layers of culture that you've just found best practices? And like I said, this isn't, this isn't like the, the only way to do things. These are just your experience that you find that like, if you value these things, you're going to have a good experience. Key to understand that everyone comes from a different walk of life. It lived experiences. It influences their history, how they behave, how they respond to positive stimuli, negative stimuli, right? Like um, you have to understand that people are different and you have to be flexible and willing to adapt. Um, that's going to be what prepares you for the ever-changing situations that are going to come up, right? So 
Uh, I think, so for me, a big part of that culture that we keep talking about, like it has to be flexible, it has to be compassionate and it has to be flexible, right? Like even if you just look at a, like a 16U team, right? Um, you can't assume that, you know, this athlete comes from a middle-class or, you know, wealthy family and is standing here on this court, but that person beside him that's also standing on the same court, you know, wearing volleyball shoes, uh, maybe they're the same height, whatever, right? Like he could have a wildly different, like that guy had might've had to bust, you know, for an hour just to get this practice, right? Where that person might've had their parent drive. You know, and these are different, like, uh, life experiences that are going to influence um, how the team interacts with each other, um, how the team, um, you know, succeeds, fails, how they, again, how they respond to uh, positive emotion, negative emotions. Um, you can't paint everyone with the same brush, right? Um, so it, you really have to make sure that you take the time and the effort to understand, listen and understand uh, where everyone's coming from and encourage your athletes to do the same, right? Like it, you don't even necessarily have to agree, right? But you can still try to understand each other, right? Um, so these are just sort of like the, um, I guess things that you sort of implement, hopefully, again, nothing happens overnight, right? But if you if that's your base, right, it only leaves more room to grow. If you restrict yourself early by painting everyone with the same brush or treating everyone exactly the same, um, then that's restrictive. You're, you're not going to have that room to develop, grow, collaborate together. And uh, collaborate is an important term. Um, but, you know, just for some context, I, uh, I recently published, um, what was, it was like a, an article of uh, article slash interview uh, with CERC. And, I interviewed uh, an Indigenous sport leader um, who uh, worked in the physical literacy field. He's a retired uh, teacher and a retired coach. And we talked about how like Indigenous ways of knowing and Indigenous ways of learning, right? And how, um, how can we use that sort of context to understand each other, right? And I'm entering the situation willing to learn willing to help right and totally well intentioned and one of the first things that he said with me is like well it's not necessarily help that we're looking for right because help implies that it has a lot of strings attached somehow you know like help on your terms uh help you join our system right without actually acknowledging some of the things that came up in the past and um and he said you know what, what we're actually looking for is to collaborate right? We, we share knowledge, we share learning, and then you end up growing together, right? Rather than, okay, what well, this is my sandbox, you can come and play with, right? That's me helping, right? But instead, it's, it's more of a holistic model of collaboration, right? That's more important, and you can only get there by listening and understanding each other. 
Well, this has been great, man. I, I tried putting you on the spot and you were absolutely crushing it. So I'm glad we could get you on the show and uh, get behind the curtain look of everything you're up to because, man, you've worn many hats. Uh, one thing we've built into a tradition on the show is, is, man, you've accomplished it all. You're an offset champ. You've got uh, provincial and national medals. You went on to coach in the OUA. You got a couple championships there. And it feels like you, you did everything but coach with me on the beach at Volleyball Canada before we lost you to Cirque there. And you're absolutely crushing it. But uh, well, one thing we it must lead itself to, you know, our tradition on the show of telling a funny or unique story where uh, I love the volleyball community and there's a bunch of great people, yourself included, involved. But that just means something funny or unique wants to happen along the way. So I was hoping you could share one more story with us. Uh, re most recently, we were at the Under-21 World Championships uh, in Italy and Bulgaria. And our pool was was in Bulgaria. And like, you know, sort of like this, this situation that was there, like it, the, the food was okay. It was good. Um, it was the same thing over and over. And the only like bit of excitement that we got in our daily meals was whatever, well, whatever was for dessert. And, you know, that's just sort of like, you know, like they had to put out platters for dessert and, you know, there's limited supplies and, and whatnot. So people get a little bit aggressive over it. But the worst was when uh, we did the pool change. And I don't know what went on in Italy. If like dessert was from like, you know, low supply there or something like that. But the first thing that one of the teams did, and I'm not going to name the team, but one of the, the teams came over from Italy and immediately threw like a huge fit about the quality of the chocolate cake that was, you know, left out for us <laughs> and, and ended up, you know, like you know, I, I, they were yelling at the manager, they were, I don't know, they were just losing their, their shit and they ended up throwing the cake out. And again, like, I don't know how, what the, you know, the dessert situation was like over in Italy, but like here, like dessert was like something to be treasured, right? <laughs> so like, you can see like, you know, a good many of the athletes just kind of being like, man, that's like the only cake we're going to get today. <laughs> you know, like, what, what are you doing throwing it out like that? Right? You didn't even need it. Um, but then like literally the next meal, like, I guess like Thailand heard about what had happened. And so in, instead of going to the buffet line, they went immediately to the dessert table and started hoarding eclairs. Like the guys were like going to the table and leaving with like five or six, five or six eclairs on their plates um, because of this whole like dessert war situation that, <laughs> that, that Egypt started. And like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm a pretty simple, straightforward guy. Like I don't need a lot, but like, man, those like, those eclairs were really good. <laughs> You know, like that was like the highlight of my day. <laughs> so it, it like left to like, I wouldn't say tension, but you know, there were some like pretty dirty looks being thrown across the uh, the dining hall at like teams throwing out dessert, teams hoarding desserts, teams like deciding to order McDonald's and not, you know, just like, you know, just. No, I love this because it like uh, sometimes you just you build up expectations in your head of what the national team's doing. In my mind, it's like, oh, you guys must be so focused on recovery and video. And here is this like mini war about the dessert table and what's going on behind yeah. the scenes. Like, and that's investing energy, right? Like, that's a taking away energy and focus. It's just like who's going to fight for that piece of cake today, right? <laughs> but actually, yeah, but actually, there there was some tension, you know, like when when. Thailand walked away with the entire day's supply of players on their plate. We were like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not, I'm not liking what I'm seeing here. Um, at least that's how I felt. Um, but yeah, just like a sort of, I guess a funny little behind the scenes. It's not all serious all the time, right? Like, 
at the end of the day, these are human beings, right? <laughs> Who dislike chocolate cake and really like Claire's, I guess. Um, but it's not all, you know, business, business, business all the time. Like you just random little things happen throughout the day. Um, and you laugh at them, right? It's nothing, nothing serious, but. For sure, man. Well, that matches the whole theme of your interview here where we got the behind the scenes as your athlete pathway and then working in the sport as an administrator and, and doing everything you can with Volleyball Canada and now with you doing with Cirque and even the behind the scenes, what's happening at the lunch table at an international event. So thanks again for coming on. Uh, I appreciate all that you shared and we'll have to get you back on when you got more stories and see what you're up to with Cirque and every other committee you're on right now. Uh, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for having me.